Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Promise made by Jesus Christ to all of us here today. Do you need rest? Deep, abiding rest? I know I do. I do because, like we all realize, we live in a very conflicted culture. Out there, a whole lot of conflict going on, and it's due to a variety of different reasons. But chief among them would be the fact that we live in a very judgmental culture. Everywhere we go, people are judging one another. And throughout time, judging others has shown up in different shapes and sizes and different ways throughout time. But the most popular right now, the most popular form of judging others is known as cancel culture. And with cancel culture, uh, people judge others based on what they did in the past, based on what they said in the past, even if that person asked forgiveness for what they've done. You see, cancel culture is our culture's new standard for accountability, and we see it all the time in our everyday conversations, on cable news, certainly in social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. I mean, there's no doubt about it that some people judge others they don't know well or don't know at all based on very little information, and they do so very quickly. For others... Their judgments aren't so much based on what somebody did in the past, not for them at all. Rather, their judgments are based on comparison. I mean, after they see someone else and they compare themselves with that other person, they then go through the process of tearing that person down in hopes of somehow building themselves up. But however judgment comes, I don't know about you, but it feels like our culture has reached a saturation point with all of this. I mean, I've had people tell me, Phil, I just want a vacation. From all of this, I want to rest from all the judging. Anyone else feel like that? And if that statement applies to you, then together I think we have something in common with the Jewish people who lived when Christ walked this earth. Because you see, back then there was a group of people who were highly esteemed. They were considered the best among the best. They were zealous. They were focused on scripture. They were greatly impassioned to help other people live righteously. And they were known as the Pharisees. Now there's a reason when you take a look at scripture that Paul says that he was, you know, a Pharisee among Pharisees. It was almost like bragging rights in a way because the Pharisees were so highly esteemed. And yet over time these friends of God became enemies of God because of their swift judgments on other people based on their own standard, not God's. And while we might think that that group of people died away some 2,000 years ago, in truth, the very hearts found within those Pharisees can sometimes be found within Christians who live today. And many of these Christians, and you may know them, they're zealous, they're focused on Scripture, they're greatly impassioned to help others live righteously. And yet some of these people who have a high view of Scripture have over time become accidental Pharisees known for their swift judgments on others. And don't mishear me. We should all have a high view of Scripture. But when our high view of Scripture is combined with a high view of ourselves, 
We quickly judge other people while giving our own words and actions not only a pass, but a high grade. Perhaps you've known some of these accidental Pharisees. Perhaps you've been a recipient of their judgment. And if so, you might have responded like many people have throughout time, it seems. In anger, you might say, you know what? You can't judge me. It's wrong. In fact, you might have followed up with a statement you've heard other people use and it sounded good. You can't judge me because the Bible tells us not to judge. Is that true? And if it's found in the Bible, where is it found? In the Old Testament? In the New Testament? Well, the partial phrase is clearly found in the New Testament. In fact, it was Jesus Christ who started all the commotion. It's he who said, do not judge. And that sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? In fact, this is found in his famous Sermon on the Mount. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically answers the question, how am I to live as his follower? And some people hear that question, they say, well, how am I to live as his follower? I am not to judge anyone else. After all, Jesus told us not to judge, and we better take his words seriously. Well, we do. And that's why when we, we come to this statement, it's really important for us to kind of step back from this consider two important things. First of all would be the motivation. Who or what motivated Christ to make this statement? And secondly, the context. What came directly before and after this statement that will help us understand what Jesus was really saying? Well, the motivation, if you take a look, it's clearly found here that the motivation for Christ's statement was in, in response to these very Pharisees that I just talked about. And that's why it's important for us to examine the full context of Matthew 7, verse 1, which actually states this, do not judge or you too will be judged. So Jesus clearly said that we, you know, that we can't judge. He didn't say that. What he basically was saying is if we choose to judge, we better know that we're going to be judged as well. So judging others isn't necessarily wrong, yet how we judge others can be very, very wrong. And sometimes we do this without really knowing it, or we do this with thinking we're actually doing the right thing. Let me give you an example. There's another statement made by Christ in Matthew 7 that has been, in a way, misapplied many times. It says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, many Christians have heard that and thought, okay, what that means then is if a person in their life displays the fruit of love, you know, of kindness or of peace, well, then you can trust that person. You, you judge them and they're, they're trustworthy. But if that person displays the fruit of, like, selfishness and pride and haughtiness, well, you can't trust that person. By their fruit, you're going to recognize them. Well, if that's the case, haven't we all displayed a moment of humility, followed up two minutes later by a moment of haughtiness? So what's really going on here? Perhaps there's more going on here than we sometimes care to think, and there is. In fact, in the previous verse, Jesus gave us the reason why we should judge others by their fruit. He says, watch out for false prophets. A false prophet is somebody who declares something is true, and boy, they'll sell you on it. But it's not true, so watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And then he said this, by their fruit you will recognize them. So the fruit that Jesus was talking about here would either be the fruit of truth 
versus the truth of deception. Or you might even say the fruit of truth versus that of partial truth. Because partial truth is what kind of gets you to buy in. And then it takes you down a journey that will destroy you. How have you been doing deciphering between this? Think about COVID over the past year, year and a half. I mean, if we're going to take a look at our recent history, there were different people saying that this is the truth and that is the truth. And everyone who claimed to have the truth disagreed with each other. And so we had some people siding over here and some people siding over there. Now that a little time has passed and more truth has come out, did you do well judging truth from falsehood? How did that go for you? Friends, we're called to do this every day of our lives, especially in this culture that we live in. I have a friend of mine who told me just recently they were downtown Cincinnati walking downtown and having a good time, and they ran into a couple who just had a baby. And they didn't realize it. They kind of lost touch with COVID and everything. They said, wow, congratulations. Well, did you have a boy or a girl? And they said, we don't know. We're just going to have to wait some years for our child to grow up, and then they'll tell us if they're a boy or a girl. How are we doing deciphering truth from falsehood? Truth from partial truth. Parents, I want you to know I pray for you. I was praying for you this morning because parenting isn't easy. I think about our high schoolers here and those in junior high and those in elementary school and being a child and being a high schooler and being a teenager today, it's not easy. So how will you respond, you know, telling the difference between truth and falsehood? For example, as a parent, when you get a letter from your school, maybe from the elementary school saying, you know what, we are going to let your child decide if they're male or female. What are you going to do? Now, are you talking about this now? And for students who live in the middle of all this tension, and there's a lot of tension going on, how do we respond in humility and love in the midst of all that confusion? We are called to decipher between the two. It's it's really a good thing to do. We are to, to righteously and rightly judge between these things. That holds true in our everyday lives and everything. It's one reason why Jesus said this. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So according to Jesus here, this is another example now, we are to really, in a way, humbly and lovingly call people out for the sins they commit against us. And this too requires a certain level of judgment. In fact, in the book of Matthew, Jesus builds on this. And he says, if your brother or sister sins... Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, I'm going to stop there. And we're going to come back to it in a moment here, but I just want us to think about this. Because if ever you feel wronged by someone, it's important to really ascertain or judge, rather, if you've just been offended or if somebody's actually sinned against you. Because it's also popular in our culture to be offended by a host of different things. And there's a lot of offense going on that doesn't meet the criteria of something known as a sin. And so this is a matter not only of judging appropriately, this is a matter of truly knowing what the Bible has to say about your particular situation. And if, after kind of stepping back and kind of looking at this, someone's behavior towards you truly is one of a sinful action, 
And if you follow through by humbly and lovingly kind of talking to them about it, Jesus then provides this instruction. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Basically have nothing to do with them because they're not safe people to be around. But are you getting the intent here? Jesus is telling us that when it comes to like judging somebody's behavior towards us, Take time. Don't rush to judgment. Take time. Bring people with you. Share in conversation. Seek to understand. Friends, it's really, really important. Many people call this kind of thing like really like extreme. Jesus calls this type of judgment normative for the church. And the reason it should be normative for us is because of the goal. The goal is always forgiveness. And possibly restoration with that other person. See, I don't know about you, but the less connection I have with someone who judges me or who I might choose to judge, well, you know what, the less painful the results. But the more connection I have with a person who judges me or who I choose to judge, the more painful the results. But either way, Jesus says that we are to go the distance. We are to seek to understand the perspective of another and then ask for forgiveness if it's needed or extend forgiveness to that other person. You see, friends, there's always a reason behind why another person would respond to us in a way that doesn't seem positive. Perhaps their reason has something to do with us. Or perhaps the reason has something to do with something else or someone else, some unresolved thing in their life, and they've just taken that frustration out on us. And so it's really important that we follow Christ's plan for seeking understanding and forgiveness. Because if we do, we're actually going to value that other person, love that other person, and help that person find healing and forgiveness. It's Jesus who said, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. And then there's this statement by Jesus when it relates to judging. He says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So there's a correct way to judge. And what does that look like? Well, the answer is actually linked to a teaching that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6 and Matthew 7, which brings us back full circle to where we began. Take a look at Matthew 6. There is a theme here, and many people miss it because they just read a couple verses. It says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Well, just after addressing hypocrisy and just before telling people not to judge or they too will be judged, Jesus says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And just after saying these words about hypocrisy, but before telling people not to judge or they too will be judged, Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. I'm going to pause there and just ask, might there be a link between hypocrisy and correctly judging someone else? Oh, I think there is. And the context of Matthew 7-1 makes it very, very clear. Remember, we've got to ask what comes before Matthew 7-1 and what comes just after. Well, what comes after is this, verse 2. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So another way to say this is this. We are to judge others only if we are willing to use the same measuring stick for ourselves. And the truth is, a hypocrite never wants to use the same measuring stick for themselves. They have a very long measuring stick for anyone else and a very short one or maybe no stick at all when it relates to them. Just before I moved here about seven years ago or so, I had a friend in college, a really talented friend. I could talk more about him, but he traveled the world singing. He was incredible. And um, anyway, he, he got a job at a place where I used to work. It was a couple hours away. And I knew that I was coming here, but I wanted to see him before I left since he was kind of in my neck of the woods. And so I had contacted him, and I was going to travel. And I also knew his boss because I had worked for his boss before. And so I was going to see both of them. Just before I left, I looked at the website, and my friend's face, it was gone. Every reference to him, gone. I made some phone calls. I couldn't reach him. I couldn't reach uh, his boss, my former boss, and so I didn't go. I really didn't know what was up. Shortly after that, I got on a plane. I'm flying out west uh, to Seattle, and it's there. I fell asleep on the plane. I woke up about an hour later to hear this conversation right in front of me. And it was my friend's boss sitting directly in the seat in front of me. And so I looked around the seat and I called his name and he's like, Phil. And we started catching up and talking. And I said, you know, I was going to come out to see you and and see my friend, but I, I don't know. He doesn't seem to be on your website any longer. And then he shared with me kind of what my friend had done. He got fired. He said, oh, it's really sad the things that some Christian leaders do. It's really sad. And it is. The hypocrisy that we see in many ways, and some of our Christian leaders across the country, it is really sad. But what was even more sad as it relates to this situation is that four days later, his boss, my former boss, was marched out the doors of that place for doing basically the same thing my friend had done. Oh, we got to use the same measuring stick for ourselves, friends. It's exactly what Jesus was talking about. He was saying that if you're going to judge someone, expect to be held to the same standard. So in light of this, Matthew 7, 1 is not a warning so much against judging wrong behavior as it is warning against self-deception, self-righteousness, and hypocrisy. And we know this by what Christ says next. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You, here's the theme, hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what's going on here? Well, a speck of sawdust and a plank of wood or a log are both made of what? Wood. They come from the same essence. And so Jesus warns us here of judging another for the same sin that you are known to commit. Because if you do, you're going to end up with plank eye disease. And the thing with plank eye disease is that you don't know that you have it. But everyone else does. And so every time you turn your head, you're taking somebody else down. You don't see it, but they see it in you. And Jesus is basically saying, before you can be of any help to anyone else, and you're going to point out something in their own life, you have to overcome the whole that same sin or a similar sin has on your own life. Until then, it'd be best not to say anything at all. 
Because if you do, you, the hypocrite, will be the one with a bigger problem because after all, a log is much bigger than a speck of sawdust. So think about this. Christ's words in Matthew 7, 1, don't prohibit you then from making a fellow Christian aware of their problem by first admitting that you struggle with the same problem yourself or admitting that you used to struggle with that problem and you come in love to help them. Or Matthew 7, 1 doesn't prohibit you from helping a fellow Christian overcome some kind of pattern that's destroying them in their life by pointing them to a person who can help them or a resource that can help that person. But Christ's words do here prohibit you and me from committing the same basic sin of hypocrisy then by judging that other person, thinking bad things about them, saying bad things about them, while all the while overlooking what's really going on right here. See, friends, the process of admitting sin and confessing our sins before God and others, it's really, really important because it, it enables us really to humbly then come along somebody else who are, who are struggling and they're struggling with something that we have dealt with and we can actually help them. And yet even as we do, Jesus would say this, we got to come humbly to that other person and wisely before that other person. Otherwise, we're going to be wasting our time and theirs. It's why Jesus says this in Matthew 7, verse 6, and many people don't understand it. So let's take a look at it. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Got it? What's going on? Let's talk about four key words here, dogs first. Now, dogs were not the same as they are in our, our, our day and age. For example, in our world today, let's be honest, a dog is more than a pet. A dog kind of rules the house. I mean, we buy outfits for our dogs, right? Recently, uh, somebody bought us a life preserver for our dog so it can swim with us. I mean, really. I mean, the dogs have it pretty good. I've sometimes wondered I'd maybe just want to be a dog, right? <laughs> they got it good. No stress, every need met. Scratch me here, over there, right? Back in the time of Christ, a dog wasn't a pet. It was a pariah. It prowled the streets. And so if you had food in your hand and that dog wanted it, it would bite your hand off to get that food. You'd watch out for any dog that you would see on the streets. And a hog? Kind of similar to today, a hog back then was considered to be a filthy animal. In fact, if a Jew ate any portion of a hog, it was considered to be an abomination. So you got to watch out. The word sacred means set apart by God and viewed as cherished. And pearls viewed as highly valuable. So another way to say this is this. Do not give what is holy or helpful to the dogs. And do not fling what is valuable or helpful to the hogs. Otherwise, they might trample what is holy and valuable. They'll trample over every word you just said, or they'll bite your hand off while you're giving that to them. Be careful. Think carefully before providing help to someone who is either completely unaware of their problem because they've got plank eye disease, or they're really, really defensive about what they've been doing. You've got to be careful. Because even if you come in love and humility, they could hurt you. And this is one reason why Jesus continues in chapter 7 to teach people how to judge the difference between a profitable path and a self-destructive path. If you open your Bibles, if you had that before, you'd see what I'm talking about. For example, verse 13 and 14 talks about the narrow and the wide gates. 
And then verses 15 through 19 talks about true and false prophets. And the verses 21 through 23 talks about true and false disciples. And then verses 24 through 29 talks about wise and foolish builders. And in doing so, Jesus continues to make a link between hypocrisy and judgment. Because a false prophet is a hypocrite. A false disciple is a hypocrite. A foolish builder is a hypocrite. And it appears that the crowd listening to Jesus that day really got it. Because the Bible says when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law who were what? Pharisees and hypocrites. Ultimately, Jesus is trying to teach us something. Basically this, if we judge others, we must judge rightly, not hypocritically, or we will know no rest. We'll just be bound up, and we'll get bitter and angry and all these other things, but we're not going to know rest. So the question is then, how do we judge people rightly? We've talked about some of these things already, but let me quickly kind of go through them again, and I'll maybe throw in a new one here. First of all, superficial judgment is wrong. Superficial judgment is wrong. The Bible says we must never judge based on appearances, John 7, 24, or jump to conclusions before listening to the facts, Proverbs 18, 13. And friends, our culture today, this is like the number one way people judge others, superficial judgment. People are judged based on appearances without knowing any really facts. And we judge and we judge harshly. It's called cancel culture, and it's wrong. Hypocritical judgment is wrong. We've talked about that. We must never judge the sins of another while privately committing the same sins ourselves, or we condemn ourselves, Romans 2, verse 1. And here's one little tidbit. I don't know if it's helpful to you or not, but uh, through the years as I've done what I do, when I've had people approach me about someone else and they judge that person really harshly about whatever that is, boy, they just can't let it go. I've learned that most often the time, that person is doing the same thing. So watch out. Be careful. Use wise and humble judgment. Thirdly, untrue judgment is wrong. That means we must never slander another person, Psalm 101, verse 5, or serve as a false witness, which means we're actually saying something to bring that person down. It's not based in truth. Or we bring judgment upon ourselves, Proverbs 19, verse 5. But then fourthly, righteous judgment is beneficial. And that means, first of all, we're honest about our own sins. You know, if I'm looking to judge somebody else or I have the temptation to do that, it would mean, is there really something going on in me that's similar? Maybe I'm doing the same thing. We're honest about ourselves and our sins. Secondly, we humbly approach that other person about their sins and we say, you know what, I'm struggling with the same thing. Or I have struggled with the same thing. I'm just here to help you. And thirdly, though, provide insight only when the potential wrongdoer is non-defensive. Otherwise, you'll be wasting their time and your time, and you might get hurt in the process. Now, I want you to think about you for a moment. Over the past year and a half, I've talked to many different people, and because the culture we live in, There are many, maybe many right here, right now, that you have been judged wrongly. You've been judged by somebody at work, somebody in your own family, a neighbor down the street. You've been judged. 
and you haven't been knowing really what to do about that, it's just not comfortable for you, how do you respond rightly? Well, first of all, what I'm going to say here applies to people you're in a relationship with. This, is not, this doesn't apply to somebody you just met once or somebody who randomly comes up to you. This would be somebody who's in your life, and they're in your life for a good reason. That's why you've got them in your life. And so they come to you, and they, they judge you. Number one, listen for any hint of truth as it relates to you. Listen for any hint of truth. Rather than saying, you can't judge me. If that person is in a relationship with you, it might be helpful to hear. The brother of Christ tells us this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So ask, is there anything being said right now that I should be humble enough to hear or maybe even implement in my life? Anything? And then secondly, listen for the person's tone to decipher if it's rooted in love. The Apostle Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And so when a person who knows you loves you and they're coming and they're concerned about something that's going on in your life, oh man, consider their, their motivation. Consider that other person. Don't rush to judgment about why they're coming. If you're sensing that love, then let some time pass. And if their motivation is love, listen more. Listen more. Don't speak. Listen more. The Apostle Paul says it this way, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. See, somebody who loves you is trying to build you up, not tear you down. They're trying to protect you, not hurt you, that grace may abound. But if their motivation is pride, and you really sense that, be willing to listen at a later time. And I say this because Proverbs 11.2 says this, When pride comes, then disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. So you might say, you know what, well, some of what you're saying might be good for me to hear. It might be willing, uh, good for me to kind of think about. The heart of where you're coming from right now doesn't feel right. So I'll be willing to meet with you again at a later time when you are in a better place. And if that time comes... And if you realize that you've actually wronged someone by what you've done, do something that many Christians don't do. Confess your sins against them to them. Confess your sins against them to them. I mean, some Christians say, well, I confess it to God, and that's great. But how about the person you directly wronged? Jesus says it this way in, in Matthew 5, and I encourage you to look up the context, but he says, first be reconciled to your brother or sister before you do anything else. Just leave what you're doing and go. Be reconciled to them. And the result will be rest, peace, and life. If we judge others, we must judge rightly, not hypocritically, or we will know no rest. Think about the difference this can make in your life. Think about how this can improve your relationships with each other, with the Lord. This is the call he has placed on us all. And if we live according to these instructions, Jesus says we're going to know rest, but we're also going to model for our culture out there what it looks like to be humble and to operate in a spirit of peace. So I'd like you to say this prayer with me. 
This is a prayer, and we don't often speak prayers out loud, but I'd like you to say this prayer with me. I'd like you to take these words in and think about them. They've been around for a while. Maybe you've never prayed them. Maybe you've never seen them. But let's pray these words together in light of everything we've just heard. Will you say this with me? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to un understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it's in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Now in light of that prayer, will you now close your eyes? I don't know your story. I don't know your past week or your past month, but as I was speaking here today, sharing the words of Christ, God might have reminded you of someone you've judged. And you've judged them either openly or privately, but still you've judged them. And you haven't done anything with that. So maybe right now you just say a, a short prayer that says, God, forgive me for judging them. And Lord, give me the humility and strength needed to go and seek forgiveness from them. Now, maybe you're somebody who's been judged and you're still hurting over it. You try to put it away, you try to park it away, but it still keeps coming back, bothers you. If that's you right now, perhaps you might say a prayer like this. Father, heal me. Heal these secret wounds because they're hurting me and they're robbing me of life. Lord, now help me to go to that person and show love to them because love covers over a multitude of sins. Stand with me now. Like I said earlier, friends, it's a divided world out there. It's a hurting world out there. It's a judgmental world out there. Remember what Jesus has taught us. And he says, if you take my yoke, my teaching upon you, you will know rest. So in light of what we've learned here today, friends, may the peace of God enfold you. May the love of God embolden you. And the gentleness of God upholds you. Go now 
and his peace. We'll see you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.